All right, we looked at uh, Hebrews 5 last week. We looked at verses 5 through uh, uh, 10, and this week we'll pick up in verse 11. I'm going to read a, a little past where I'm going to preach to, but I think it is uh, tied together and it builds this case. Um, last week we talked about tons of whining and bellyache and over nothing. You know, when Jesus Christ was... Uh, he was literally beat to death and never opened his mouth. The Bible says in the Old Testament that as a sheep was led to the slaughter, so was he, yet he opened not his mouth to make a defense. Uh, yet one little thing doesn't go our way, then we bellyache and whine, and it's silly. But moving into this, it doesn't get a whole lot better this week. <laughs> I actually told my wife, I said, I might have should have preached last week's sermon this week, but the Lord's timing is perfect. Let's pick up in verse 11. Well, remember he was just talking about Melchizedek and Jesus Christ being perfected through suffering. And then he says this here. Verse 11, about this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child but solid food is for the mature for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil therefore let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity not laying again a foundation of rep repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God, and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm, and holding Him up to contempt. For the land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints, as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. You may be seated. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. So as we open up this week and get a little deeper into the scripture, uh, let's really just do part two from last week. And in all honesty, uh, last week was a little different, uh, but, but I'm back. <laughs> I made it. Uh, you know, I had lots of conversations last week, lots of people messaging me, lots of people encouraging me, and I appreciate that. Um, 
But you know, uh, it, it you know I'm a human being, and uh, it just you know sometimes it's a little much uh, when when uh, you're when you're looking at a situation, and you don't really want to accept the reality of what's before you. But it all kind of crashes down on you at one time. I told somebody last week, I said, you know, they're kind of trying to explain to me, well, several people was trying to, and I didn't know who I was at that event. They were trying to, you know, explain to me why they were there. But what I found is, is that most of the ones that was trying to explain to me why they were at that event, not this event, was people that I wasn't even worried about. It wasn't even about that. Last week's message was about those of us who do nothing, yet complain about everything. You know, I started thinking about it and praying about it and talking to some of the brothers about it. And every church I've ever been a part of, every church I've ever known of, and everybody that I've known that's ever been a part of a church, they all have the same story. That 20% of the people do 80% of the work. And what I find just in retrospect and examining the situations that I know personally that 20% of the people do do 80% of the work. But the further reality is, is that the 80% who do nothing do almost 100% of the complaining. And you know, as I broke that down, I really prayed about it. And this is not out of frustration anymore, I promise you. And I think I had a right to be frustrated, just like you do sometimes. I think I've kind of started to understand why that's like that is that the 20% of the people who do basically all of the work, well, the only reason they do that is because they have a servant's heart. Because that's hard. It's not only hard to get it all done because you don't have the help that you need. It's hard to stomach the fact that you're working yourself to the bone and other people won't do anything. Yet they come and consume and consume and consume. And then turn around and complain that what they're consuming hasn't been done to their satisfaction. Butler, this steak is a little underprepared. Take it back, please. You know, you have to have a servant's heart to take that and glorify God in it. The 20% love God, and that's why they serve. And that's why when they serve people who are like that, it's okay. Because they weren't serving to please those people in the first place. And on the other hand, and you decide where you are. But be honest with yourself. Don't lie to yourself. The 80% just want to be served. And so, they're focused on what they want. Okay? So, those who want to be served, they have no heart to serve. Well, that's why they're not helping the 20 and making it so much harder. And it's also why they're continually complaining because their service isn't good enough. You see the double-edged sword. So it's like, hurry up and get this done. It's always saying, oh, we need this ministry. We need that ministry. We need this done. We need that done. I don't like this. I don't like that. I don't like that. I don't like that either. Oh, this is okay. Oh, change my mind. It's because they're only concerned about what they desire. It's why they won't serve, and it's why they have such high demands of how their service is performed. And on the other side, the 20, 
are cool with just serving because they love Jesus. And they can take the persecution and the silliness and all of the nonsense because it doesn't really matter. We have nothing in this world. The praises of men are nothing. The praises of God is what we seek. Does that make sense to you? Okay. Now you really need to consider whether or not you're in the 20 or the 80. And if you're in the wrong one, repent. Repent, you sinner. Turn back. Turn back from your wicked ways. Take your silly burdens off your brother. Take your eyes off yourself. Put them on the Lord and get busy. That's not complicated, is it? And if it offends you, then good. Because you need to change. I got places I need to change in. Come tell me. I need to know. I got blind spots. So, if you continually consume, yet you do not work and invest and build, repent. Repent. Now, I have much to say about this. But it's hard to explain. Since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you again. The basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk. You're still on the nipple. Can't give you solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he's a little child. Those aren't even my words. <laughs> but I could have said them, couldn't I? They say, man, preach, you're going to run somebody, you're going up and R U N N O F T them. They're going to run off. Well, I'm gonna be, can I be honest with you today? And I'm not frustrated anymore. I'm, being, I'm, I'm clear. I told Matt Padula, who was in a dark spot last week, he called me. He's like, how you doing? I said, praise the Lord, the storm is lifted. I'm here for the Lord. I'm here for the Lord. No frustration, just basic honesty and practical. Do you know how much more we could do if the 20 would grow to 25? If it would grow to 30, if it would grow to 40, if it would maybe flip and be 80 20. Ooh, wee. Ooh. Pipe dream? No. For this is impossible with man, but with God, all things are possible. Well, I want to show you how it would be better and how it would be easier. You see, everybody sees the obvious. If the whole paradigm flipped and it was 80% of the people doing the work and only 20% wouldn't work, and you're always going to have somebody that won't work, right? We're human beings and we just let anybody in. <laughs> we don't kick anybody out. Well, I mean, I guess we would if it got bad enough, but, you know, if you want to hang around, that's fine. Well, it's, all, it's always obvious that the first thing that's apparent, well, you just got more people working. So more stuff gets done, right? That one's obvious. If you've got 100 people, only 20 of them will do anything, and the other 80 are lazy, whining complainers who just consume all of your goods. Well, you can't produce as much. You can't do as much because you've only got 20 people working, and the other 80 are not doing anything. Well, the second one that's maybe not quite so obvious is that take the same 100 people, you've got 20 working, you've got 80 that won't do anything. And so not only 
is there not as much stuff being done because there's just not as many hands, right, and people to do stuff? Well, the reason, remember the reason that the 80 won't, that the 80 won't work, or, or one of many maybe, is that they're selfish. And they, me, 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 right? And they're always wanting to consume but never wanting to produce. Well, the whining consumers burden the 20 as they're trying to do work, okay? So let's say that the 20 have an optimum, uh, uh, an optimal capacity to do 100% of whatever work they could possibly do. Is everybody following so far? Now you take that 20 who's workers, servant's heart. People throw stuff at them, they just keep on working, right? You take that 20 and now you add on to their workload all of the noise. And I'm not talking about legitimate complaints. You can hear that if you want to. It's not my fault. I'm talking about silly drivel because something didn't go your way that doesn't even matter. You take the complaints of the 80 that are meaningless. No, there's no justification for it. And you throw that on to the 20 who are trying to do work. Now they've got to field all this silliness. They've got to take their time to have meetings, to have cry sessions when there shouldn't be any crying. Sometimes you need to cry. There's a time to weep. We know that from the Bible. So you've got the 20 who have 100% of work to do, but now is added on to that the problems of 80 people who aren't, that aren't really problems anyway. So now you've taken them drastically down, right? Does this make sense so far? So they're not only producing, they're draining, okay? And what needs to happen is, is that, and again, I'm not trying to be hard. I'm just trying to lay out what the Bible says. What needs to happen is, is that they need to grow up and they need to stop whining and crying and being so needy and they need to start producing. Now to be sure, there's actually going to be real needs that arise within the 20 and within the 80. But let's say only 5% of the 80 have actual problems. Practically speaking, how much better do you think the 20 can help with the problems of the 80 if they only have to deal with the actual five problems instead of the other 75 nonsense stuff? We're human beings. We only have 24 hours in a day. You see? The gospel explosion would be astronomical. Astronomical. And this is, remember I told you last week, I said, you know, there's one thing that I have no desire to do, and that's to play church. The whole color of the carpet argument, I ain't going to have no part of it. One of us is leaving. I don't, I don't care nothing about that. But you see, I, I, we're only 10 years old. We're new. And so I'm seeing like we're, we're like, we're like morphing. And I'm like, hold up, wait a minute. We're not doing that. We are not going to turn into that. I don't care what I have. We will not turn into that. Amen. We were about going and loving and sharing and proclaiming and building and doing and working out our salvation for those around us being a light in a dark place. And many of you are the, you, you are the result. You are the fruit of that. 
Somebody met you where you were in the ditch, in the dark, in the dirt, in the mud, in the ground. And they didn't care to come there and to find you and to get you out there to bring you here. Not to be served, but to be trained in the art of warfare and kingdom building. And to be sent back out into the world to go get more. But what happens, and this is, this is the typical church that I know of. Sorry churches out there, call it how it is. Our churches start 200 years ago, 50 years ago, whatever, it doesn't matter. And they have this mission to love God and to build the kingdom and to go. And then all of a sudden we get into this building, we get into this place. We start getting selfish and needy and whiny. And, uh, uh. and so all of that attention that was out there starts to slowly turn in here. Why? Because the American church, for some reason, is infatuated with keeping people in the building. So here's the reality of the situation. 20% of the people doing 80% of the work. 80% of the people doing almost 100% of the whining and needy, taking almost 100% of the resources and the time and the ministry. And the 20% not realizing that the time, energy, and effort that they were spending out there building the kingdom of God, they have now turned in here listening to the whining complaints of people that don't want to be here anyway. And for some reason, I think it's a blinding trick, deceptive trick of the enemy. For some reason... The American church, and maybe just church in general, but I know the American evangelical church, for some reason, has bought into the lie that we must do everything we can to keep them from leaving. I, have a rev I had a revelation. And, I'm, and listen, I don't want any of you to leave. I don't. But I'm not going to take my eyes off of building the kingdom, to, kingdom of God. I'm not, I can't, I can't take my time that God has called me to train warriors of God, to train kingdom builders, to train people in the word of righteousness, to be sword bearers, light bearers, trumpets, to take that call and to take that time and to take that energy and to be your puppet, your entertainer, so you won't leave this building. The American church needs to wake up. The 20 does not exist to cater to a whiny 80. The 20 exists to serve the king of glory. To blow the trumpet. To go into the highways and the byways. You remember? You see how we've been deceived. Because when the invitation was sent out by the king. To all of these people. In all these places. Prominent people. Needy people. Greedy people. And they said. Let me take care of what I need to take care of, and then I may, I, I may see to what you would like for me to do. Let me, I, let me take care of me first. What do you say? They didn't even say no. 
They said, I might stay. Oh, I didn't even think about this. This is from the Holy Spirit, I'm pretty sure. When the invitation was sent out, they said, I'll hang around. I might come. I'm in limbo. Let's see what happens if I like what's going on. And I may hang. Let's see how this happens. They didn't even say no. Goes back to the king. He says, "King says, where's everybody? Well, they, they've, got, they've got a bunch of their own needs that they, they need to take care of. Then, then they, they may come then. King says, eh, forget them people. Look, go out to the highways and the byways. Get them people. Well, because you know them people right there, they know what it's like to be broke. They know what it's like to be rough. They know what it's like to be in need. They, they, hey, go out there and you feel this banquet hall. And anybody that don't want to be here, you ain't got to be here. This church and any other church should be. Does not exist to serve you. It does not exist to serve me. It exists to serve one. And everybody that we go out there and get and bring them in here, we don't bring them in here to stroke their egos. No, we bring them in here so that they might die. So that their fleshly desires, wants, needs, and, and selfishness and all this would die a thousand deaths. So that they then would be ready to go and get more people who need to die. Because people must die to the flesh to live in the spirit. Does that make sense to you? So, the American church needs to wake up. I don't have a problem with anybody being here. I love when people come here. I hate when people leave. I hate it. But at the same time, we can't spend all of our resources trying our very, 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 very best to talk somebody into staying who don't want to be here anyway. Nobody's happy then. It's miserable. So let's talk just a minute about some remedies to that and about some realities that we find in here. Paul's dealing with this. Now he does. That's why I read it. That's why I wanted to read all the way over to Hebrews chapter 6. Because I will say also with Paul, let me give a little light here. I agree with Paul, and I love what he says here. He says, Though we speak in this way, remember, he's just hammered them, right? He's like, preach you being rough. I really have just read and explained a little bit so far. Paul says, Though we speak in this way, though it's been tough, though it's been rough. Though you might have got a tongue lashing, God knows I have. I've been beat half to death over these past three weeks, a month. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, I know you are different. I know you are different. I know to the core of my being you are different. But I know that some of us, and I am no exception, I fall into the traps as well. That some of us are being led off into the lie that it is about us. That it is about keeping people happy. And it is not about either. It is about Christ. And pleasing Christ. 
and loving Christ and speaking for Christ and being Christ, building a kingdom, training people that they might go get people for Christ, that they might bring them back here and train them to go get more people for Christ. Why? Because he is worthy and we are not. He says, though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things. Things that belong to salvation. Now that will be a theme coming up in the next few weeks. A lot of people have questions about Hebrews chapter 6, whether or not it teaches you can lose your salvation. I do not think that it does. What I think it does is point out whether or not you are actually saved. And if you want me to touch on that really quickly, I can. It lays it out very clearly here when he says, Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things not those other things. So let's call them 20 things and 80 things. You see, you are not saved by your works. You're not saved by how much, you, how much effort you put into this church. You're not saved by how much you give. You're not saved by how much work you do. You're not saved by any of that. You're not, you're not saved by how little complaining you do or unsaved by how much complaining you do. It really has nothing to do with that. But all of those things just point to whether or not you may actually be saved or may actually be lost because a tree is known by the fruit that it bears. And I'll tell you this, because I don't want to leave you uh, wondering, and I want all blood to be off of my hands. Paul tells uh, the church in Ephesus, he says, I, I no longer am guilty. Your blood is off of my hands, for I did not fail to preach to you the whole counsel of God. I've laid it all out. You do with it what you will. That's between you and God. And here's the truth. If you've been going to church for 10 years, if you said a prayer one time and you, oh, hallelujah, I ain't going to hell no more, right? But there was no immediate change. There was no fruit. There was no actual transformation. Your love for God did not grow. Your service for God did not increase. Your repentance did not increase. And yes, you will fall. Obviously, it's not what I'm saying. You are a sinner, saved by grace, transformed to a saint, and we have to repent every day, right? But if you, are, if you prayed some prayer 10 years ago, or 5 months ago, or 50 years ago, yet there has been no transformation, you are not walking in the Spirit, then there is no assurance of salvation. And as we interact with one another in that situation, we must be truthful and say, there is a very good possibility, I can't judge the heart, Never tried to, but there's a very good possibility that you do not know Christ. Because people who know Christ, they don't act that way. And a tree will be known by the fruit that it bears. Paul is the one who tells us, examine yourself to see whether or not you be in the faith. We've already studied in Hebrews chapter 2 and chapter 3. Be careful lest you drift away. And be found to have never known the king of glory. Here's the fact of the matter. If you have said a prayer, yet nothing transformed, you need to fall on your face before the king of glory and find out what's wrong. Because something is wrong. And maybe you did get saved. That's not for me to judge. The Bible says you are not to judge a man's heart. Now, you are to judge in other ways. That's a whole other sermon. Don't get me started. But at the end of the day, I don't know your heart. But what I can do is I can judge and consider your life. And if your life does not match your mouth, then my mouth must tell you that you are in 
trouble. And there's something that's got to give. There's a problem. There's a hitch in your giddy-up. And if you would only pay attention, you would know that there's work to do. It's either that you must repent and believe the gospel and be saved for the first time really and be transformed. Or you may be like David, had fallen into a state of sin, a season of sin, and maybe you're overwhelmed and you don't need to get saved again. There is no such thing as being saved again. Let me repeat, please. There is no such thing as being saved again. Because you cannot lose true salvation. You may need to repent. That is the word. And if you have come to the king of glory, been washed in the blood of the lamb, you've been made new by the transforming power of the gospel, you've been set apart unto righteousness, you've been imparted the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ, you've been seated in the heavenly realm, you've been overwhelmed by the glory of God and transformed your flesh, your your. Your sin nature has been crucified brutally on the cross. And you enjoyed watching that old man die, bleed, ooh, right? But you lost sight of the king of glory. Much like David, who was a man after God's own heart a long time before he ever had Bathsheba, Bathsheba's husband. Uriah? Send them out on the front line. Got to cover up this sin. And Nathan, wasn't it the prophet Nathan called him out on it? Hey, David, let me holler at you for a minute. But Nathan, you ain't supposed to judge. No, Nathan says, I'm not judging. Well, yeah, I am. I'm just telling you the truth. And when the truth is laid down, it drops like a hammer. And some of y'all mad at me right now, but you need to understand that that anger, that anger is just because I'm right. Not I'm right. It's just the word of God. But I agree with Paul. Because I believe better things about you. You see, I believe that there's things that belong to salvation. You see that right there? Listen to that again. He says, for I, we feel sure of better things for you, for you, things that belong to salvation. You see, those things don't belong. You see that here? Those things don't belong to salvation. And if you're living in those things, man, we got problems. Signposts everywhere. Signposts everywhere. There's signs, signs everywhere. There's signs. He said, we don't believe that about you. But we, you know, we believe there's things that belong to salvation. So uh, that's where I'm, I'm at. All right, you know, this is the this is the most loving, giving, going church I've ever seen. And I know I'm biased, but I mean, look around. I'm I'm choosing to believe that we've just lost a little vision, and just needs to be renewed. That I need to repent. That you need to repent. We need to repent. 
And we need to turn away from our own selfishness and, man, hit the road, Jack. Right? Don't you look back. We need to go. We need to get it done for the Lord, right? He says, for God is not unjust as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. He said, I know that you guys have been after it. Man, we've been after it. And I'm not talking to all of you. Some of you are the 20. Again, you've got to do some heart searching on that. And a good indicator is maybe that if you're just ticked off at me, you might be in the 80. <laughs> you know, oh, 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 and this. This too. This was a good sign you might be in the 80. This is a really good sign. Anybody got pen and paper? Write this down. Write this down. If you called me last week, now you won't call me or, or text me this week with this because I'm about to tell it to you, right? So we'll say, if you sent this to me last week or if you've already thought in this sermon that you're going to send this to me this week, and now you won't because I've said it, if you say... That was a good sermon for all of them. No, 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 no. I'm not. That's Y'all laughing, but that ain't funny. I'm serious. You send me a message and say, you get them, preacher. I don't, that's, all, that's all I'll say. I'll leave it right there. I'll put that out. I'll leave it right there. And if you call me with that last week, it wasn't a shot. It wasn't a jab. I hadn't told anybody who messaged me anything. Just saying. I believe better things for you, he says, because I know where y'all been. Man, hey, let's just, hey, let's take this. Let's say, man, God hit me. Because I'm going to tell you, I could just come and sit with you. If we could have pre-recorded, I could just come and sit with you, and I get punched right in the face with you. Because it's the Bible. It, it is simultaneously the most destructive book I've ever read in my entire life and the only place where you can actually be put back together. Put together in the first place because we're all dead in trans transgressions and sins before new birth. All right, well, I wasn't supposed to say any of that. Let's go back to the verses we were preaching in chapter 5. About this, we have much to say. Donnie, I promise it'll get better, bro. I'm trying. I'm just kidding I love you. I want to, hey, if you want to get up, it's fine. I won't call this anybody out like that. That's my boy. That's my brother. I love him. But now, if I don't call you out, don't think I don't love you. See how tricky this is? Man, everybody's complaining about everything, you know? Man, you didn't even call me out when I got up, you know? Can't win for losing. I really do love y'all. I really do. And I'm really actually thankful that I could basically word vomit on you last week, and y'all actually came back. I, I was wondering, I was like, I told, my, I told my wife, I was like, we might be church planting again, you know. <laughs> but uh, you let me be human, and I really do appreciate that. I love you too. He uh, says, you know, we have a lot to say. You know, it, it, isn't the Bible just so, it's so deep. It's so deep and so wide and so big and so good and so, ooh, it, I just, it kind of turns me on, you know, not in that way, but like, it's like, man, I love the Bible, you know, but sometimes I can kind of lose sight of it. You know, like when you got, you got engaged or, you know, you had, you know, when you, your wife, when, when you met that pretty little thing, you know, she's like, you know, and you're like, what's up, 
and you put them moves on, and you were like just emphatic, and you were like strutting, you know. Think about it. When you come into the faith, that's what you're doing, right? And you with your girl, or maybe with your guy, you know, John's a pretty good-looking guy, you know. He wears them tight jeans like that. And you're like, you got him on your side, or you got her on your side, and you're like, hey, what's up? You know, and that's kind of when you get saved, and you just, man, you're in love with God. Because that's what love does, right? And some of y'all don't love God. You know, he's a benefactor to you, maybe. You know, he's, he's got stuff you want. You know how many people serve God because he's got cool stuff? A lot of people serve God because he's got cool stuff. You know what we call those? Come on, man, what we call those? Employees. You'd be like, hey, God, let me get a little side hustle with you because I got a lot of good stuff going on in the world, but that looks good. You know, that whole not going to hell thing. What I got to do? What I got to do, boss? Shaking a bush, shaking a bush. That's what they see God as, a harsh taskmaster. That's why the guy buried the talents. He was like, I didn't get at it because I thought you was a harsh taskmaster. I knew you was going to beat me to death. But the other ones, they love God. They're like, oh, when I get back, I'm going to risk it all because you know it's worth it. And, and you know, he's not, if, if he knows I was going at it and I fall on my face and lose it all, man, it's okay. Because me and him, we tight. But the other one, he's like, oh, man. See, they, they were real, willing to risk it all to gain some. Man, I'm preaching, and y'all y'all just sitting there like knots on logs. This ain't even my word. I didn't plan this. It's coming from the Holy Spirit. Listen, y'all hearing what I'm saying? You see, you had these guys that were like, hey, I don't care. I'm going to lose it all, but I'm going to risk it because, man, I got to. And when he gets back, oh, when he gets back, I'm going to have a big pile of cash. And he's going he's gonna to be so excited. And it's going to make him happy. All I want to do is make him happy. And if I lose it all, it's okay. Don't that sound crazy? That's the upside down kingdom. It really is. Because I'm like, Donnie, man, be careful with my money, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Stop breaking stuff, you know. Donnie's like, I was trying to get it done faster. <laughs> Broke everything. I spent twice the money fixing it. But he knows I love him, so I'm like, I guess you can stay. But the one guy, the one guy, though, he was like, I don't know about this, boss. If I lose this money, he's going to beat me half to death. So I'm just, I'm just going to. And so he wasn't, he didn't love it. You know, he didn't really want, man, let me get this. He just buried it. He just buried it. Why? Because he, who was he concerned about? Himself. Self-preservation. I preached that to you out of Hebrews when we looked at the example of the Israelites coming out of Egypt into the desert where did they go wrong? And they were not found without works. They had lots of works. What was the works? It was works of self-preservation. They sought to appease God in order to preserve themselves. And God says, no, no, no. What you don't realize is it is complete and utter trust and abandonment for me. 
you risk it all. Why? Because Jesus risked it all. He says, you know, I got a lot of stuff to say about this. But it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. Now, I could keep going on that, you know, talking about being dull of hearing and, you know, all of that. But I think I've beat that horse like he's laying there. He doesn't even have any blood in him because I've jumped up and squished it all out. So what I want to move to now in the little bit of time I got left is I want to point something out to you that maybe you have never seen before. Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. I know you talk about it, but I'm not sure if you see that what you're talking about and what you see is here in this text. Okay? American church. American church. Now, I'm not mentioning any churches in here. I don't have to. I don't want you shouting out the name of any church. But I will describe a generic church and give you some attributes. Okay? You got a church. You go to church. Get up. Put your clothes on. Walk in the door. It's good, you know. Church. Shaking people's hands. Good to see you. How you doing? Fine, fine. Loving Jesus, and you doing? How you doing? You sit down, you know. You sing some songs. Preacher gets up, preaches a message, and it is the exact same message that you heard the week before, and the week before that, 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 and the week before that. And what is the message? Jesus loves you. Got a good plan for your life? Died on the cross so that you could be saved. Come down here, pray that prayer. You're golden. Same old song, different dance. You say, man, what you, you, you saying we shouldn't preach crucifixion? You saying we shouldn't preach about Jesus' death, resurrection? No, uh-uh, mm-mm, no. What I'm saying is this. Follow me. Y'all okay? Follow me for just a minute. Maybe I'm saying this, and and I know this is going to be out there, okay? But y'all know me, you know. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, we should stop trying to get the same people who are already saved, saved every week. I mean, I don't, I mean, is that reasonable? Now, you know me well enough to know that I believe Jesus Christ and the gospel has to be in every sermon. As Spurgeon said, when a preacher gets on a road that doesn't lead to Christ, he needs to sit down and shut up. My own words, paraphrase. (laughs) He says that every road in the text always leads to Christ. And when you find that your road is not on there, leading to Christ, you need to find another road. Okay, so I'm not saying that. Gospel's got to be in there, but what I'm saying is this. We need to move on. We need to move on to the 
deeper things of God. And that is amazing. You say, something's deeper than the cross of Christ. I Listen, let me read the Bible to you again, lest you crucify me. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. Okay, so here's the ba- he's about to lay them out. I've marked down five. You test it yourself, guys. Why do you think it is that our nation is riddled with 40-year-old infants? Which is, by the way, the title of this message. 40-year-old infants. And you know what's more just sad than a 40-year-old infant? Nothing that I know of. You show me a grown man who's 22, 23, 18, who won't work, lives in his mama's basement, plays video games all day long, and is still suckling on his mama's booby. And I'll show you one sad, pathetic excuse for a man. Anybody want to disagree with me? I'm all ears. Hands? And quit jabbing your boyfriend. (laughs) It's sad, isn't it? It's sad. Well, why do you think think that is? Why do you think it is that... I think it, I can't remember this. I don't know the statistic right now, but I know it was like, man, it was way up there. Like 80-some-odd percent of Americans claim to be, they claim to believe in God, you know. And a huge percentage claim to be Christians. Yet if you go to the Barna studies, studies show that the vast majority of them have no clue what the gospel is. They have, they will answer that, Jesus is not actually God, or the Bible isn't inerrant, or whatever. And my whole point is, you know, that's, that's, a, that's awful, but my whole point is, is that they're, they're, maybe they aren't, maybe, you know, because you don't have to be a theological expert to be a Christian. You know, I'm not, I'm not saying that. You, you don't have to give me a treatise of the fundamentals of the, of the Christian faith. I'm not saying that, but... Even if they are true believers, let's say that, I don't know, does that sound more sad? You know, I'm glad they're going to heaven, but you've got a bunch of people that, you know, are believing in Jesus Christ and they're utterly useless. They don't even know if Jesus is God, and I don't know if how that works. I'll say, if you don't think Jesus is God or don't know, I don't know if you can be saved. I'm pretty sure you can't. No, I'm sure you can't. You cannot be saved if you do not know Jesus is God. But what I point out is this, is that how do we get to that place? All of these people think they're Christians. And again, we can't judge the heart, but we look at that, we look at that big, beautiful apple tree and we say, yeah, that's not an orange. You know what I'm saying? Well, maybe it's because you have churches who have adopted and fallen into, number one, what I've already said, and that is people-pleasing, seeker-sensitive, all about the people, all about the people. And again, I'm not opposed to people coming here. I love when people come here. (laughs) But we cannot bring them here to make much of them. We hurt them. That is not doing them any good. A church that 
jumps over every hoop and dots every I just so that they won't leave. Please, what should we do? What should we do, my stuff? You're not doing them any favors. You are making, you know what you're doing? You're spoiling your child. It is no different. I mean, those of you who have a child and you give them everything that they want, something they won't cry. Please don't cry. Please, please don't cry. All you are doing is you are teaching them how to cry better. Because when your child starts, starts crying and you go, what, what, what do you have me to do today? And, and the child says, get me a bowl of cereal right now. You say, yes, my son. <laughs> then that child says, oh, man, I got the power now. And no longer is it, there is power, power, wonder working power in the blood of the Lamb. No. It's there is power, power, wonder, I'm just making this up as I go. Wonder working power in the precious cries of the brat. Did that work? You see what I'm saying? And what you do is you reinforce you reinforce the idea that if they will just cry, you will cave. Same thing with people coming in here. We make it all about them. We, we cater to their every... Please, please don't go. Please, what, what shall I do? That's, that's where it is. And boy, look, don't say anything offensive. I mean, we've thrown that out the window, but most of the time, it's like people are like, don't say anything. You're going to make people leave. Tithers will leave. You know? And we have bought that. We have bought that. And you know what, Matt? It's really better. And I'm just chasing, man, I've got rabbits running everywhere, you know? But I'm okay with it. I don't care. I'm going to get that thing, Marcus. One of these days, I'm going to catch that rabbit. Wascoey rabbit. What was I saying? I was a good point. What was it, Matt? Right there before I said that. No, no, no. Shh. Hold on. What was it? Oh, yeah. Was tithers leaving. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Let's keep that analogy rolling because I think that'll work. Watch this. Okay. It's going to be better for them. So if you're here just because you want to be pleased... Really, the best thing that I can do for you is to show tough love. And when you come with a silly thing, and now again, don't hear me. I'm not just a mean guy. You know, I had somebody tell me the other day that her daughter works in the coffee shop where I go. And she was like, you're just so intimidating. And I'm like, oh, I'm not. I'm like a big teddy bear, you know. And if you know me, I think you know that's right. You know, I, I, Robert, yes, it is. Yes, it is. I love every, well, almost everybody. <laughs> what was I saying again? Oh, oh, yeah. If you, if, listen, if, if you, if they leave, the best thing that you can do for them is to not coddle them. And when somebody comes with a silly Thing. Like you're just whining, right? Well, what if I just employed the same tactics that I personally use with my kids? My kids come to me and they're crying. 
when I'm in my right mind, my first question is, what's wrong? And it should be, right? Even though 90% of the time, it's stupid, right? And I didn't say stupid. I said stupid. But they're my kids. What's wrong? Is anything broken? Are you bleeding anywhere upon your body? Can you see how many fingers I'm holding up? Well, when it's been shown that it's not a legitimate problem, what do I do? I hope it's what you do. I say, what are you crying about? That's exactly the look on my face, too. I'm like, what are you crying about? What are you doing? Right? And some of you who I'm really close to, so I've got more courage. Can you turn this down just a hair? It's ringing in my ear. Some of you who I'm close to, you know that that's the same look I give you when you come. But if it's legit, what am I doing with my kid, right? I'm going to grab them up, man. Let's, let's, let's go get a Band-Aid right now, you know. Oh, it's a boo-boo. Let me kiss a boo-boo, right? And with my little girl, I, I admit I'm a little softer. But do y'all want to be treated like little girls, right? So don't come at me with that, right? My girl, I'm like, it's okay, you know. What if we, what if we had the same mentality? Would it not be better if a grown man comes into this church and he is whining like a five-year-old girl, the worst thing that you can do is say, Come here. No, no. The best thing for you to do is to say, are you kidding me right now? Seriously? You call yourself a man? Are we not men here? No, no, no. You do not. You, no, no, none of this, right? No, no. Now, the Bible is very clear that we do everything we do in love, right? So we can't slap people right in the face like we want to sometimes, right? We can't do that, Matt. Well, we can't do it and not go to jail these days, Marcus, so calm down. No, 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 no. In love, in love, I'm being serious now. In love, we say something to this effect. Bro. You can ask. Man, I just, when I said bro, it just reminded me of like at least 40 conversations I've had this year. I say, and men say this to me. If they're close to me, they'll say this to me too. They should. Bro, are you for real? Are you serious? This is what, this is what it is. Listen, I love you, but you got you to gotta get over it. This is silly. They say, but my wife is so mean to me. And I say, listen, listen, listen. When's the last time you did the dishes? Man, men ain't supposed to do dishes. Listen, when's the last time you took out trash? When's the last? When? Okay, okay. So you're hurting. You're whining. You know, it's your own fault. Shut up. Repent. Do what you already know you need to do 
and straighten things out. You know, we overcomplicate things. And listen, here's the, here's the crazy thing, which is why I started saying this. If they leave, well, I'll tell you this. If my kids, Titus, if my kids, so Titus, He's an awesome kid. He really is. Like, I could not be any more proud. I wish I was, I wish I would have been like him. I wish I, ha I would have had people pour into me. Oh, you were talking about me, not you. I thought my, my mama said me too. I thought she meant she wishes she would have been like him, but no, she wishes I would have been like him. Well, I'm sure she does. If you would have known me, you would agree. But he's an awesome kid. But when Titus gets really angry, he's got this thing. And he's got to get really super angry, right? Like, you know, when I was young, I don't know if y'all had this problem. I've talked to a lot of people who do. I haven't done this in a while. Maybe I hadn't gotten mad enough. But when I get really mad or really just frustrated, I'll start crying, right? Like when I was a kid, you know, 13, 14, 15, 16 years old. Man, if I started, if you made me mad enough to cry, you need to go somewhere because neither one of us need to go to the jail or the graveyard, right? Yeah. When Titus gets some mad, he'll be like, he just leaves. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes forever. I remember the first time he ever did that. He went out the front door. I think it was him and his mom was arguing about something. And he said, you never listen to me. You know, and he takes off fast, too, because I went out the door right after him. But he wasn't running. He was walking. It was like the fastest walk I'd seen. Like he needs to enter a competition. Well, I went out the front door, and I'm like, where'd he go? Because I was going to go try to see if he was okay. I'd never seen him do that before. He handled himself pretty well. And I found him. He was, like, sitting on the other side of the property. And he's like, bitch, y'all never listen to me, you know. Well, here's what, I, here's what I know. When he leaves, well, he's going to realize, and that was at night. The first time I, I think I remember was at night. We took off out of the front door because he wouldn't get in his way, right? And we wouldn't cave him. Well, when he went out there, what he quickly realizes is, and he sat out there for a while because I just left him alone, you know, let him deal with it, let him blow off some steam. Well, he came back in. Why? I didn't chase him down. I went out there to see. I saw him. I said, okay. He didn't like run away, run away. <laughs> you know, he's still there. And he goes, I went back in. Let him do it. Well, why? By himself. But you know what's not outside? There's no food. There's no water. There's no shelter. There's no blanky blanks. There's no soft beds outside. There's animals out there. I've caught like three skunks and three raccoons at my house. There is creeping sounds and bugs that bite, and it's dark, and it's cold, and okay, that's enough of this. I'm going back inside. Matthew 18 says, if your brother sins against you, go to him, present his sin, and all that kind of stuff. You know, then it says, but if he will not repent, if he's found to be lacking in the fruits of the Spirit, such as repentance and forgiveness and 
uh, confession and all these things and he continues on in his sin then you are to put him outside of the church and treat him as an unbeliever for the destruction of his flesh so that he might return I think I might have mixed Jesus and Paul there all the same line of teaching you know I just want the best for Christ, but I want the best for our church, right? And man, I know what you guys are capable of, but we, and I say we, we've started to turn in. We've started to turn in, eyes on us. We've started to worry too much about who's coming and who's going and what I like and what's my preferences and all that kind of stuff. And the reason I said that about Titus, you know, like doing that fast walk outside, is that, you know what, I've, I've tried to figure it out, and it's just baffled me. Like, me and Chris was talking about this. I, 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 can't, I, don't, I can't figure out why we're trying so hard to keep that 80 from leaving. Can any, I don't know, maybe it's in the hopes that they would get saved I, I, don't, I don't know is it for the tithe I, I don't know and do you think maybe all of our coddling to make somebody who doesn't want to be here to make them stay here do you think it may be causing more harm than it is good you see, I'm not saying that we should run people off, but I am saying that we should be honest and tell the truth. And if they run off, then that's okay. Because out there, they'll feel what it's like to not be in here. And maybe they'll come back ready to be a part of the family, actually. I asked some of the guys the other week when thinking, and I'm ju I've just been thinking through this, and I'm really just talking to you right now, really. Don't throw anything out. I'm just asking questions. But here's the, here's the reality. This is, would we agree that this is God's house? We are God's house. We get that. But this is the gathering of the saints. This is God's house, right? What we do here is we worship God. We learn from God. We go after God. We're trying to do God's work here, right? Like the economy of God is happening here. Is that fair enough? Please raise your hand if you would be perfectly cool with somebody coming over to your house, consuming all of your goods as they please, never paying any bills, never doing any work around the house, never ever investing in the property, Never producing any positive net gain to the household, yet consuming the entertainment, consuming the blessing, consuming the food, consuming the drink, consuming the good clean towels, consuming, 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 never investing, never producing. They just consume, and on top of that, they're looking at you, sitting at your table, saying, could you not have gotten whole milk? This is, this is, this is, this skim milk is just too thin. Or vice versa, whatever. Charles, 
Sometimes children act like that, but the bottom line is, is that I'm not talking about God's relationship to us. I'm talking about our relationship to God as we steward the economy of God that he has placed us over. Now, you're right. That is how God interacts with us. You see, because we are that person and God has paid the full bill. And we get to come in. And when we fail, he disciplines us. But here, as we are called to steward God's stuff, would you allow someone who is not your child to come in and just live in your house and consume in the way I've just described? Anybody here say, yeah, send that guy over to my house. I know a few. Raise your hand and see if they don't come. I will send them right over. Any takers? Any takers? Freeloaders? Won't do them any favors. So why would we not only say, come on in and consume it all, but we would say, please don't leave. Please, please, please don't leave. Please don't leave. Please don't leave. Please don't leave. When it may be that tough love needs to be demonstrated and say, you can be here. You can, you can come. I'd love for you to be here. But if you're going to be here, and if you're going to actually be a part of the family, then you're going to have to pull your fair share of the weight. You can't just come and consume it all, complain about everything, and expect to, that to be cool. Right? Is that practical? That's pretty practical. And so as we think about that, I can hear this in Paul's voice. And I'm going to close it down. You can come on up. I'm done. Listen to what he says to the last part of it. He says, you need milk, not solid food. And this is Paul's words, not mine. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. It's childish. It's so childish. All right. We are going to get in to the maturity next week. I want you to come back. I want you to pray through everything that I've said today. I want you to ask yourself some hard questions. I promise I've been asking myself really hard questions. Don't R-U-N-N-O-F-T till we get done. Don't up and run off, okay? Let's talk about this thing. Let's hammer it out. Let's do some repenting together. And let's see if we can stop with our selfish turning in and we can grow up in the Lord Jesus Christ and do twice as much damage to the kingdom of darkness out there than we've ever done before. Are we, can we, we together on that? Yeah. We're together on that? I, God has better plans for you. This is not who you are. We slip, we stumble. I slip, I stumble. But we are to arise, oh sleepers, awake. It says, but solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Well, I tell you what. Ooh, man, that just looks so sexy to me. Ooh. Man, I tell you what. Maybe sexy is the wrong word. So appealing. Because you know what? I just love the idea of a well-oiled machine. Oiled by the by the Holy Spirit himself clicking on all cylinders. The Bible says that the church is made of many members and every one of them is needed. If 20% of our body alone is working, 
and the other 80% is not working, in the physical world, we call that paralyzed. But when we're running in the same direction, loving and in love with the Lord Jesus Christ, turning our thoughts and ideas off of ourselves like Christ did for us as he climbed upon the tree to die for you and for me, not opening his mouth, but paying it all, laying it all down, laying everything down that we might truly live. He died that we might live. And we too, men and women of God, need to die to ourselves that we might live in Christ and be like Christ was, the vessel through which others would come into this thing we call gospel living. That's where life is, John. That's where life is, folks. That is where life is. If you have never been born again, repent. Turn. Come to Christ. Be born again. Experience life in its fullest. If you're a believer, and you really are, and you have been utterly useless for the king for however long, whatever, you just know today is the day. There is nothing holding you back from repenting and turning back into the living God and having him remind you of your joy of your salvation of that passion of your first love because when you first became a believer almost everyone in here I bet would agree would say man I was on fire why because just like when you first meet your bride or your husband you like Mm. You know, that's the way you were with Jesus. Nobody had to tell you to go evangelize. Nobody had to tell you to go burn it down. Nobody had to tell you to get out there and beat the bushes and tell people just how amazing he is. Why? Because he had just dragged you out of hell. He had just turned the light on. He had just pulled the veil back. And you said, oh, my king, my king, how I love thee, my king. You want to tell the whole world. And then we kind of get, you know, that's why you and your wife, you and your husband need to go on dates often. You need to look each other deep in the eye. You need to whisper sweet nothings. Get some flowers. You know, some of you ladies, some of you ladies, I'll tell you what your husband loves. Almost 99.9% of husbands do. A little nibble on the earlobe never hurt nobody. I really, Chris, you ain't, what are you shaking your head? Hey, try it, man. It's awesome. I'm telling you. Little kiss, little soft kiss on the cheek. You know, some of you men need to calm down, right? Give a little, you know, a little soft kiss. A little, little, what's up? You know, work it, girl. Hey, work it. Work it. Hey, and if you think this is crazy or if you think I'm just being silly, I'm telling you. I'm telling you right now, if we had time. If we had time, I'll walk you through how the scriptures show that the relationship between a man and his wife and the intimacy intimacy is there, that ain't nothing compared to the intimacy that you should have with the Lord Jesus Christ. Martin Luther said, I have had thoughts of the Lord too delicious for words. Uh, Don't get me started, I'm telling you. (laughs) I I, I need to stop. I need to stop. Because, Because I will say this. It'll be the last thing. My wife is left. She's not here, so I'll say this. There's children in here, right? But you shouldn't come in here because you know me, right? If you didn't want them in here, I'm just saying. It ain't my fault. You brought them. Let's say it this way. 
the climactic moment between a husband and wife in all of its glory does not hold a candle to the intimate explosion that you will know when you interact, love, pursue, and are filled full of the Lord Jesus Christ. Come get you some. Come to the Lord today. I'm telling you, you can't, get, you can't go wrong. All right, let's worship.